bringing a cell or gene therapy to market is an art. Hear Veristat thought leaders as they draw on their specialized expertise to offer insight on timely, relevant clinical development topics. Welcome to Art Podcasts, Advancing Revolutionary Therapies, a podcast presented by the Centre for Excellence for Cell and Gene Therapies by Veristat. My name is Rachel Smith. I'm a portfolio director here at Veristat, working with our clients in cell and gene therapies, providing operational excellence from strategic consulting to clinical trials and post-marketing commitments. Today, I will be touching on the future direction of cell and gene therapies, focusing on autologous versus allogeneic technologies. Autologous is defined as cells or tissues which are collected from the individual patient, so therapies using this approach are specifically tailored for the same patient and cannot be used to treat anyone else. Whereas allogeneic cells or tissues are from the same species but are non-specific to an individual patient. Currently, the most commonly used approach is autologous cells as the starting material for many cell and cell-based gene therapies. Looking back over the past 19 years of advanced therapy approvals, both in the US and Europe, all approved cell-based gene therapies utilise this paradigm, as do several of these cell therapies, such as Macy. And for good reason. This approach is considered lower risk than allogeneic, as we are using the patient's own cells, so the risk of autoimmune events post-transplant, such as graft-versus-host disease, is very low. In addition to this, we know this technology works. It's proven technology and has the potential to significantly improve clinical outcomes or even cure disease, particularly in the rare or ultra-rare disease setting. However, autologous therapies do have a relatively long list of negatives. These therapies, for example, rely on a starting material of cells from already diseased patients. And what that means for manufacturing is you already have variability at the very start of the process. And so the final product quality also has high variability and low predictability of the end product quality. So essentially, you're producing inconsistent products, and we're routinely seeing out-of-spec end products in our clinical trials for this reason. Most of the time, we do end up administering these out-of-spec products, but with limited success. And the reason for that is due to the adverse risks of not administering these to our patients. For example, if we've already put a patient through the conditioning regimen, um, and therefore they need um, cells to be reinfused. Added to this is the cost of the variable manufacturing process. Um, It's extremely high. So we're talking about one batch providing enough doses for just one patient. And so these are expensive and it brings into question the commercial viability of these therapies outside of the Red Sea space, as manufacturing can take up to 12 weeks in some cases. Particularly when we're thinking about Europe, the COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted how limited our manufacturing capabilities are. In reality, companies may only be able to treat a handful of patients post year, each year post-market. As a result of the cost of these therapies, we're also seeing low engagement with payers, so those insurance companies and national healthcare providers who fund the cost of these treatments. Take Zinteglo, for example. This will not be available in Germany as the healthcare provider is only willing to purchase the therapy for 50% of the target market price, making it a non-viable option in that country. All of this leads to issues with patient accessibility, as generally there are only one or two centres globally who are actually offering these therapies. And what this means for the patients and their caregivers is that they're having to fund travel and accommodation and take extended periods out of work to receive these treatments. So the question really is if this autologous approach is sustainable long term. 
Particularly as we continue to see technology for cell and gene therapies evolve with new possibilities which come with our greater understanding of the immune system and how these therapies work. For example, immune cloaking and hypogenicity techniques to address the immune rejection risk and the use of armors or switching off mechanisms to address long-term safety risks with non-autologous approaches. So will we be switching to an allergenic approach in future? I would say yes, not only with the evolution of the science around making this product safer or this approach safer, we're also starting to see progress in manufacturing efficiencies and the development of allergenic cell banks, which will make this approach significantly more viable in the next five to 10 years. When we talk about allergenic therapies, we are talking about a cell source from either the healthy donors, stem cell sources or cell banks rather than using the patient's own cells as starting material. The starting material then goes through various differentiation, expansion, modification and activation steps before the final product is released for administration to the patient. In these cases, the cost is significantly lower per dose, primarily because one batch may yield hundreds or in the future even thousands of doses for hundreds or thousands of patients. And because you are using a consistent starting material, end product quality is much more predictable and much more consistent than with an autologous product. As a result of this, plus the bonus that the patient does not have to go through earlier cell collection steps, like bone marrow harvest through surgery, which has an incredible burden on the patient, you could in theory send an off-the-shelf final allergenic product to any centre in the world for administration meaning that the potential for patient accessibility as well as payer engagement is anticipated to be increased. That said, we do have a potentially higher safety risk with allergenic product, though we do expect solutions to these risks to come to light over the next few years, as many of these are already being tested preclinically, like immune cloaking, or are in the early stages of clinical trials, such as HLA engineering or HLA knockouts in induced pluripotent stem cells or iPSCs. Though I mentioned that we have seen some improvements, downstream manufacturing processes are still relatively inefficient and companies are working on higher throughput technology to increase the commercial viability of this approach. On top of that, starting material is currently high cost and limited, and that's simply down to the lack of availability of clinical grade cell lines. And companies are really having to invest themselves into the development of cell libraries and cell banks. But again, we expect the number of commercial cell banks to rise significantly in the next five to 10 years, addressing this problem head on. Finally, allergenic regulations are some way behind autologous products. Guidance is under development by the major regulatory agencies, but for now, this really remains somewhat of a grey area and requires constant communication by sponsors developing these therapies with the agencies. On top of this, there is a lack of consensus on residual cell assays or assays to confirm the final product only contains the modified cells and has a low or zero percentage of non-modified cells remaining, which pose the highest safety risk. So where are we headed for cell-based therapies? Don't get me wrong, autologous therapies are absolutely here to stay. We have established processes, known safety profiles and clear regulations. But given the complexity of the scale-out manufacturing model and high-cost, low-yield approach, these therapies are only likely to continue to be commercially viable in the rare disease setting. Where we are with allergenic therapies today is where we were with autologous therapies 5-10 to years ago. So we're not too far behind. And if we've learned anything from the pandemic, it's absolutely possible for us to see rapid development and improvements in clinical research. And we can expect the lessons learned during the pandemic to be applied to this field as well. 
As we anticipate moving to non-rare disease for these types of therapies, we will absolutely see a shift towards allogeneic therapies as the field advances, processes improve and cell banks are established, both with the traditional monogenic and cell therapies, and I also expect with multigenic and gene editing techniques. So the podcast today is intended to be a high-level overview of the pros and cons of autologous versus allogeneic techniques in advanced cell-based therapies, as well as to give our view on where we're headed into the future of this field. Ferrostat managed clinical trials for the first gene therapy to be approved in the Western world, and as trailblazers, we continue to be actively involved at the cutting edge of this field. We encourage you to listen to future episodes of this podcast as we delve deeper into some of these issues and other important topics on cell and gene therapy. I hope this has been valuable to you. Please reach out to our expert teams through the links available on the Veristat website should you have any questions, and we'll be back talking to you very soon. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast player and look for our other Cell and Gene podcasts at cellandgene.expert.